grace and peace and welcome to Strangely Warmed from Crackers and Grape Juice. Each week, we bring you conversations on the readings from the Revised Common Lectionary without using stained glass language. The lectionary is a three-year cycle of four readings for every Sunday, designed to bring congregations through the great narrative of Scripture without being constrained by the choice of the preacher. Open our hearts and minds so that by the power of your Holy Spirit, as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and crackers and grape juice. Amen. Go for it. Grace and peace and welcome to Strangely Warmed. The Lectionary Base Podcast, where we talk about the readings without using stained glass language. I am Taylor Mertens. Today, we're talking about Pentecost, the celebration, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Here in year A, the readings are Acts 2, 1 through 21, Drunk as Skunks, Psalm 104, 24 through 35b, Yonder is the Sea, 1 Corinthians 12, 3b through 13, Jesus is Lord and everything else is bullshit. Put that one in just for you, Trip. And John 20, <laughs> 19 through 23, peace. And I'm sharing some peace today with my friend, Trip Fuller. Trip, how are you? I, I'm excellent every time, you know, like last week, so long ago when we recorded a podcast. I, know, I, know. I, I thought I was in a good mood then, and it just has intensified. It's, um, a, it's amazing how much your hair and your beard have grown in just a week. I know. I do what I can. I wanted to impress you. And hopefully, hopefully, by the time this is done, um, you'll be like, Jason, why, why don't we have Trip on the podcast more often? I, I already asked that question, but uh, perhaps it will come into fruition. Uh, Trip, in case anyone was unable to listen last week, can you share a little bit about yourself, what you find yourself doing for the Lord these days, and what is your all-time favorite beer? Ooh, okay. So um, I am... Uh, Research fellow at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, religion and science. Um, currently working on uh, uh, panpsychism and the bifurcation of nature and uh, the uh, in the current revival of dual aspect monism. There's your. Uh, that's not stained glass language. That what's that like a uh, ivory tower BS or something? I don't know. Um, and then uh, I was a I was a minister for uh, you know in a congregation for 15 years. Um, I ordained Baptist. I have three kids married to another ordained Baptist clergy, and we are in lockdown in a country we recently moved to, uh, which is something. Um, I do the Homebrewed Christianity podcast since 2008, which everyone should clearly listen to it if you're, if you're a nerdy type person. If you're not, don't, because uh, then you'll leave a bad review. Uh, <laughs> I made a movie. Uh, that that's now out on Amazon called The Road to Edmund. It's a buddy road trip comedy with progressive spiritual themes. I did that. Reading the I'm reviews to think of, of that, things. Reading the reviews of that are, is also like uh, really fun and really terrible. Oh oh man, um, yeah. So I got this email <laughs> yesterday that uh, this lady watched it because her daughter told her about it, and her daughter's in lockdown and watched it and had come out to her right. Mm. Um, and so the daughter didn't go home. Because 
like you can imagine if you're 20 and deciding what to do, but now you're going to go get in lockdown with your fundamentalist parents. Right. And so she's like, well, I have something I need to tell you, but I don't want to tell you why we're in lockdown kind of thing. Uh, so the, uh, she sent the parents the movie without saying like, I'm coming out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they watched it. And the mom like, uh, emailed me, uh, some affirming words. My favorite was, I don't know what is more utterly offensive, uh, utterly, you know, uh, the, uh, the fact that you rolled a joint using a passage out of the Bible or that there was so much male nudity. And I thought, could you go put this on Amazon? Yeah. That was what I thought. Like, could you go to Amazon and insert this review? For real. So, if that's not enough of a recommendation to go watch the movie, I don't think you're going to get a better one. Yeah, no. I like, you know, some the you're going to go to hell emails. I'm used to those, but <laughs> um oh, oh, my favorite beer is Drake's 1500. Okay, why? Uh it is a West Coast Super dry hopped pale ale, so you can uh, you can drink a six pack in a Laker game without getting inebriated. You're like just tipsy, and um, it's like five point four percent, so it's like higher in alcohol f- than most pale ales, and it's uh, it's super dry. Doesn't put any of the, a lot of this crystal malt in it, where it's all chewy and bready, and it's dry hopped with Amarillo uh, and Simcoe hops, and those tag team delicious. Uh, in, in the, now I'm in Europe, my favorite beer to get here is, uh, is getting like all the different, like real deal Belgium beers because I can't, I can't really roll deep with 4% like British lagers don't, I mean, I'll drink them, but they just take too long, you know? (laughs) So you just go for the 12%. Belgians. Yeah, I'm just like, uh, let's just go with the Belgians. Yeah, I'll drink one. I'll see you all tomorrow. Uh, it's great transition for the Acts text. This is Acts 2, 1 through 21. Right off the bat, what is Pentecost and why is it celebrated in the church? Um, well, uh, some people talk about it as the birthday of the church, uh, but it's the, the coming of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised to come. Uh, it is also a manifestation of the promise of the church, right, where uh, the, the spirit of God is, is blown out and all of a sudden the good news can't even get captured in a tribal language and all this type of stuff or on the same type of bodies that were affirmed under circumcision and this type of thing. Uh, the other thing about the, about Pentecost, uh, that pops out, uh, to me is that it is, uh, it demands to be practiced. And I think the story if it just is like the birthday of the church or whatever you, you miss that um, it's, it's like uh, your baptism, right? You, if you, especially you Methodists don't uh, practice biblical baptism at upon confession of a faith of as an adult, you all sprinkle everybody like just, they just pop out and you sprinkle them, you know? Um, And you weren't there, but every time you, you baptize someone else, everyone gets to re-remember their identity that was theirs before they ever learned to talk. Right. And so when we come to Pentecost, the question isn't like, Oh, did the, did what kind of fire was on their head? 
And can you, does, did they have Google translate? Is that how they heard the tongues? It's, it's a, it's just like our baptism. Like when you see someone else uh, receive baptism, you get to re receive it uh, again. And so Pentecost is the church getting to ask itself, like, is the, is the spirit of God dwelling in us or our tongues uh, burning with fire, this type of thing. So when you hear about the other languages, does that immediately draw to mind like other passages in scripture or if, you know, like, and if it does, what are those passages? Um, well, I would just look at my concordance and see what it says. Uh, I mean, I'm fishing for an answer here. Oh, well, I'm trying to think. Well, there's the Joel one, right? Isn't it Joel? So yeah, he quotes Joel talking about like, here's the prophecy and everything. Um, but I'm like, I'm fishing more for like Babel. Oh, the Tower of Babel bit. Okay. I was like, I think he's quoting Joel. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the it is like, here's a question. I, and I, I, I've gone back and forth about whether or not the Babel's a distraction when preaching it. Like in mm-hmm. one sense, right, the Tower of Babel comes in the prehistory in Genesis, like before God covenants with Abraham. Uh, everybody is spitting the same language and they use their technology, communication and power and stuff to try to overthrow God. And God's like, try to cooperate now. It was like all of a sudden everyone got Windows 98. And <laughs> they're like, I tried to send the email. It didn't work. And, and that kind of thing. Um, uh, how do you convert this file? And you can just imagine how it works if everyone has different technology and it just pisses them off. And, 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 but see, God's response after that is to invest in one particular people uh, so that there is this reciprocal relationship mm-hmm. of fidelity of God is then uh, em- embodied in, through the fidelity of the people. Uh, and here, the Babel thing um, it's not just that everyone can hear each other, right? I, I think is can end up being the distracting part and babbles undone. So now we can hear each other. Then you ask, well, why can't everyone understand anyone sure. and, and stuff? I think it's the uh, God's divine self-investment in a particular people uh, has come to fruition through the fidelity of Jesus. And now that fidelity of Jesus, we can participate in through the coming of the spirit. And so the multiplicity of languages and cultures and peoples and bodies and things where the spirit is being poured out is a recognition uh, that, that uh, in a sense, God's investment through Jesus is now opened up to all flesh. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's, a, it's simultaneously thrilling and it can freak you out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a daunting thing. But I, but Luke acts the spirit. It comes in, in that story. It's very narrated, right, sequentially and such. So like the spirit doesn't just like come because the spirit's always just hanging around and stuff. The the spirit is always it, it crystallogically has a crystallogical agenda in mm-hmm. Luke acts. So the spirit comes uh, uh, after um, the ascension. Mm-hmm. So what do you make of the accusation that they're drunk early in the morning? Is that a detail you'd want to sort of put your finger on if you were pro- pro- proclaiming it from a pulpit on a Sunday morning? Well, uh, well, one, I think that only people, the people that complain about people being drunk in the morning do vacation wrong. <laughs> no, I'm just, I, that's good. Just, that's really good. <laughs> no, the, the, I, I do think 
what does the app, the statement they're drunk means like there, and you could think of, if I sat around thinking of like, what are other ways you make sweeping dismissals of people's testimony, witnesses, and experiences? Because what is it everyone's an authority over? Their own life, their own experience. Like we're the only one that knows what it's like to be us. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're, Taylor knows what it's like to be Taylor. And you can tell me about it, but I'll never know what it's like to be you apart from your testimony and witness to it. Um, and I think in this, in all oh, you're drunk is one of those things that's saying, now I don't have access to the experience you're having right now, but I already know it's not real. Mm. And uh, that maneuver is, is uh, something that people do by kind of imposing a type of reductive materialist scientism on things. Uh, religious people do it while, well, that's not what the Bible says, blah, blah, blah. Right? And uh, that comes up in Acts a couple times, right? Like the spirit of God, comes on people that are not it's not supposed to come on and the next thing the ethiopian eunuchs getting baptized or uh philip like there's so many stories in it where uh it, you you get um what's peter's response like well what am i supposed to do in, in i think it's in chapter 10 where he's where he's like well what am i supposed to do i mean i know the bible it technically says i'm not supposed to eat with them but if the spirit of god is upon them i got to come up with a new hermeneutics yep right and so i feel like the story of Pentecost or the story of the spirit in acts is a, is uh, it starts here and it says the activity, the liberating and uh, movement of God's spirit is ahead of where we are and it doesn't compute now. And when you're experiencing it, the world as it is, will say you must be drunk. But if you're full of the spirit, you go, no, I'm participating in the world as it will be. And uh, it's it, it, that, that flows. Um, yeah, that's probably how I do it. I don't know. I'd... No, I, I like that. I, I, because of where we are in the lectionary as of the recording of this, uh, the Old Testament has been sort of like replaced by Acts. And so I've been preaching on Peter's sermon that comes right after this. And one of the things I've tried to impress upon people is to remember that they've been accused of being drunk already before he starts talking. And the way I've always kind of seen this is uh, like two ways. One, Imagine like a great wedding when everyone's toasted and having a great time and it just keeps going late into the night and everyone like spills out of the venue into the streets and they want everybody else to come celebrate with them. That's what these disciples are going through. And I also think about it, this is taking like a, an imaginative leap, like the father from the prodigal son parable where like even the dad has had some drinks and mm -hmm. he goes outside and he's like trying to find the older son. He's like, what the hell are you like? Would you just come in please? Like that, that's, that's kind of like I see Peter in that. Like he's coming out. He's like, "Look, y'all, I've got, I've got the good news. Come, come listen." Mm. Um, anyway, let's go. Let's go to the Psalm. This is Psalm 104, 34 or twenty four through thirty four, and then thirty five B. So just twenty four through thirty five B. Yonder is the sea. All right, I want to hear you make a connection between this Psalm and the Pentecost story from Acts two. What what details would would draw these together? Basically, why would the lectionary creators put this psalm with the story of Pentecost? Um, well, it's, well, one, I think uh, the a lot of the images of spirit and such in Hebrew Bible is connected to all living things, um, and so the like that you get in um, uh, in the text itself. Um, 
the I mean, you get a lot of the images of simultaneous like nature and life and this type of stuff. And then in the text, it talks about what happens when the spirit is sent forth. So like uh, when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Um, and, and then it goes on to give a affirmation about that. But uh, if the spirit of God in the Psalm itself is connected to the act of creation and God's ongoing creative activity, then on Pentecost, um, uh, this text is sitting there going like, yeah, the spirit came, it created the church or whatever, but it also goes on recreating it. Um, and the activity of the spirit in the church is not just something that's hours and hours alone. It's also the very vitalizing presence of God throughout all creation. Um, and if you look at the Pentecost story, the spirits poured out on all flesh. It doesn't even say all bodies. Hmm. And uh, we don't have to unpack the Greek currently, but that does mean the spirits poured out. Like it's not, uh, it's not buoyed at the biological ladder to humans, right? And <clears throat> uh, at the beginning of the psalm, you get about the ships and the Leviathan, uh, where there's this uh, – ships are human structures of order that go over the chaos of the deep, right? And Leviathan is this divine monster of the deep. Uh, and um, I think the the spirit uh, – one of the dynamics that shows up in scripture and I'd have to go look again at the Psalm to see, or the others to give examples. But one of the live questions in Hebrew scriptures about Leviathan, the deep and the chaos and all that kind of stuff is whether it's properly to be uh, uh, tamed, right. In a sense conquered or uh, whether it's to be uh, in a sense, you'll get the image of riding it or something like that, right? You're not eliminating it. Like how does the generative power of chaos connect to um, the civilization desire for order? And that, uh, that openness and closure dynamic there is uh, playful. Um, and though, uh, there's no way on Pentecost I would like go do all like 13 times Leviathan or the deep monster shows up. I did do that before, and I, I, you know, when you leave the lectionary, and it's thoroughly fascinating. Um, that's always what pops up when I when I hear those passages: is what do we do with the unknown, the chaos, and all that kind of stuff? And in Pentecost, the chaos, the unknown, is called drunk. It's called whatever, you know. And uh, I would like to say. Sometimes chaos is the very pre is necessary in the very presence the spirit of God comes in. No, I, I, I am so with you. I, I love this idea of like riding the wave of chaos because chaos still remains, but being given the tools and the structures by which like we can ride along with it. And, and the spirit is inherently chaotic, as you already like said, like the rest of Acts is the spirit showing up on people that no one else would have imagined it happening. That's a chaotic thing. It's when you're in church on Sunday morning and someone comes up to you and they say, hey, I heard God speak to me last night. I want to share it with the congregation. And every other place you say, that's a bad idea. But like that's the spirit does crazy shit sometimes. Yeah. Oh, it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've got like a bajillion story. Anyway. Okay. Let's, we'll, we'll move on to first Corinthians because there's some uh, good stuff here. This is first Corinthians 12, three B through 13. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by 
the Holy Spirit. Tripp, what does it mean to confess Jesus as Lord, and why does the Spirit have to be part of that? Well, um, so if I was going to unpack it for the sermon itself, I think I'd, I would read one of the synoptic versions of Peter's confession of faith, right? Where Jesus says, who do they say I am? Mm-hmm. And then who do you say I am? And he says, you are the Christ or you're the Christ son of the living God. Uh, and Jesus response is not, uh, well, thank you, fellas. The evidence demanded that verdict. And I'm really glad you objectively understand that I am the God man. Jesus says, well, my heavenly father told you that, right? So there's something about what uh, this confession here, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. To say that um, uh, the confession of faith is not a conclusion you get through through a logical syllogism. Uh, it is yeah, that's uh, good. It is the giving of oneself to a reality. And as Christians, what is what is most true? We use the phrase Jesus Christ is Lord, and uh, how do we unpack it? We start to tell stories. And these stories are not the universal stories of everyone. They're stories about Abraham and Sarah. And it goes through all this type of thing. And, and so the other, so like to say Jesus is Lord, you would never confess that a homeless first century Jew executed, executed by state power is Lord unless something other than history or your metaphysical system told you so, right? Like if you think of all the other justifications, either like uh, this is, this is true on these, these terms that are universally accessible, blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, And the other side of it, other part about that kind of existential register is that the statement Jesus is Lord is, um, is a statement about who you intend to be when you mm-hmm. show up in your relationships, be it with your family, your friends, your neighbors, your community, to creation, to your enemies. Uh, and Jesus is not a, a valueless thing. Um, it comes with uh, the character, right, of the Gospels uh, determining it. It, you know, the other part about it is, is it's not a freaking magic trick, right? So you could just imagine if you were reading 1 Corinthians like it was something you stole out of uh, like Hermione's bedroom and it has like a little, oh, well, if you say Jesus is Lord, obviously the Holy Spirit did it. And if you confess with your lips and say in your mouth, well, like you start turning the whole thing into this um, yes, magic trick uh, for salvation. Um, that's, that's not what it's, uh, talking about. Yeah. It's not like a transactional program or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So of course, like that's, that's half of a verse. And then we get this whole big thing here about the sort of the work of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, all that sort of thing. And, you know, leading into the one body with many members and all that. Uh, I'm curious, what are some of your spiritual gifts? And how have those been affirmed in you? Were they something you came to a realization by yourself or they, were they like affirmed in you by a wider community? Um, yeah. I mean, I think, and, and I don't think this is an odd thing. I think most spiritual gifts you come to recognize when other people are blessed by them, 
right? So a spiritual gift, when, when I've like helped students or thinking about when I was a campus minister thinking through it, I always think of what are the places in which you, you are alive most deeply and it brings life out of others. Mm. And uh, because if it's something that, you know, brings life out of you deeply, right? And this is all done in the con- context of Jesus as Lord, right? It's not like you're like, wow, when I was, uh, I get really end up uh, really abusive porn. No, you know, I, it's, or whatever, you know, I like torturing animals. Um, the, the question I think is the way in which what brings you alive uh, brings life out of others. And if you think through all these texts, right, what is the spirit? Is the spirit is the one that gives life, brings life, and then calls us to participate in God's life-giving and liberating movement. Um, this text, the uh, it's it going like, yeah, and everyone actually, there's like all sorts of different gifts. And the key is not to then inscribe the spirit as you've encountered and named it and proclaimed it upon all people. It's actually for you to embody that for others and, uh, and, and then expect there to be a multiplicity and diversity of expressions and things. Um, the, one of the things that uh, in, in that whole tension that showed up last week about the nature of oneness shows up here. And I think it's, it, it's, this passage is another one of those times you realize that when you say we're one, we're not the same. Um, and I would totally tell the story behind the U2 song if I was preaching just because, uh, and you can all go look it up in the book U2 wrote about themselves basically, or the, the, some guy wrote it, but they interviewed him. He tells the whole story behind the one, the song one and the creation of Octung baby and what they're all going through in their life. And they don't know if they're going to figure it out and blah, blah, blah. And they got invited by uh, um, the Dalai Lama to do to play at this one festival a festival of oneness and bono replied that said no we're one but we're not the same and uh uh and you know at that time like uh the the edge is processing divorce and um someone had lost a family member I, I can't remember all the details i'd go look it up but the the uh wanting to get on the same page and stuff for this album they're struggling or whatnot and it's not till they put themselves in a different situation and then they realize that they don't demand the other one to be who they have in their head you all of a sudden gave them the freedom to be the person you want they really are that then you can be blessed by each other's differences uh, and the same thing happens right like every time you do a wedding you're like looking at two people and they're smirking with young love and you just want to tell them this is the person that's going to hurt you more than anyone else in the world. Congrats. Yeah. Good but, luck. Yeah. But slowly in a relationship, if you're there, you realize both of you have an idea of the other one in your head. They're not that. Uh, then you get frustrated that they aren't becoming that person. Cause you obviously think they could go to counseling and do so. And then you have to decide if you're going to love them across difference. And when you start to do that, you get blessed in these other ways. And I think the church needs to learn, like go through that process. Right. Um, and so we're one in spirit. We're all baptized into one body. Uh, yeah. And we we drink from this one spirit, but we're not the same. It's it, it, in, I don't know. I, I don't want to keep talking. I, I'm no, really good. bad and, and at doing short God, things. No, it's good. It's, and thank God we're not all the same because like, it, you know, in this specific instance, like I, brevity is not a spiritual gift of mine. No, it's not, but that's okay. Like that's, because you have things to say that are good and right and true and can reveal something about the nature of God that we might not have 
known or seen otherwise. And one of the best examples for me that I've it, that have used in church about making that point is to say, like, look, we canonized four gospels. They don't even agree on what day Jesus died. Yeah. And it's not like they got canonized and then, you know, all of a sudden when uh, some like atheist critic is reading it, they're like, well, to what day did Jesus die, young sir? And then we figured out it's always been there. And then like we read through them all the time. Let's make everyone listen to it at church. So like if we will canonize the tellings of the incarnation where you get a Christology as low as Mark's who's like, he was raised and I got scared. I don't know if they told nobody Yeah, all the way to, you know, John's and everything in between. Then the, 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 the canon itself testifies to the power of a unity in multiplicity and difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not sameness. And I think most of us feel better when, uh, you know, we're, we all run around like harmony gospels. Can you talk about your faith long enough? And if we can all agree to use the same language and same descriptors and things, and then we can teach our kids to perform it, yeah. right? So when they come to Jesus or when they have their confession of faith or whatever, you, you learn like this is the script we play. Yeah, it's and like I the think, factory model of the church. Yeah, it's boring. Yeah, super boring. It would not be any fun. And the gospel is fucking fun. Yeah, no, you, no, one, no one wants no, no like Ford F50, one F50 or whatever running around. That's... Jesus doesn't uh Jesus doesn't want everyone to drive a pickup. But if you do, he'll take the wheel. All right. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> Let's go to John 20. John 20:19 20, through 23. It's a short little passage. It was evening on that day, the first day of the week. Here we go not agreeing on when this all happened. We get some obvious connections here with the fact that it's Pentecost. Jesus, you know, tells them he breathes he breathes on them with his death breath, receive the Holy Spirit. Um so, uh, you know, I, I think there's obvious reasons for this text. Um, it's also been in the lectionary just like a few weeks ago. So, you know, some people have already heard this. Jesus' arrival in, uh, you know, to the disciples right before Thomas and everything. I, I want to just talk, I kind of want to end here with, with verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Should the disciples, the apostles, preachers today, should we be in the business of retaining sins? What do you think? Um, I don't think so, but you know, if you think of it, uh, I always connect that to that. He showed them his scars and stuff. And so uh, in, in some sense, Jesus retains the marks of sin, but the identity of the one that sinned against him has already been settled in the resurrection, right? Like from the cross, forgive them. Right. So it, so, and I don't, this is not a setup for like love the sinner, hate the sin, because he doesn't show up and hate them for abandoning him, abandoning him to the cross or to Peter to deny him. He shows up with the invitation to people he knows carry with them the possibilities that God sees. He doesn't show up like, Peter, I'm going to make you, you're going to feel like crap, bud. Right? Like the whole, even like, will you feed my sheep thing? is Peter resisting the possibilities Jesus sees in him. Mm. And so like when he, when, if you think of receive the Holy spirit, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, then 
that you're retained, then I think it is insisting that we forgive sins, but it's also not demanding that we're naive, right? And you know who, or put it this way, and I've been working a lot on Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer uses this text to think about the way in which um, the the wounds of Jesus uh, describe where Jesus shows up. And um, and so as a church, as a spirit, knowing it, filled with the spirit, like we're going to be sent to places where the wounds we get are given by who, right? At, uh, it's striking. I don't, I mean, there's, I doubt, I, I doubt I would preach this text on Pentecost. Yeah. Yeah. Since it mean, was like just there on the doubting Thomas text and that kind of thing. But, um, uh, and I talk about it for like 40 minutes on, uh, Jason's, uh, church's website when I, I, cause we did a conversation, yeah. but, uh, you know, uh, think about it this way though. The other, I remember I had a youth that got really hung up on this and was like, so if I don't forgive someone, like God's still going to throw them in hell. You know, in his mind, he's like, cause there's this one person. Yeah. You know? And, uh, uh I'm like, I don't even, I don't, I don't want to take the way you're turning this into algebra seriously. And then one of the other youth just says, Oh, I'm going to change his name. His, well, his fake name is Philip. And he's like, Philip, are you really going to be that dude? Right? Like <laughs> Jesus comes back or whatnot. And, and, and he's like, I love everybody. I love my enemies. Oh, oh, Philip is still pissed at you. So I'm throwing you in the hell, bitch. And like, and the youth all start laughing and I'm like, can we uh, dial this back? And he's like, no, I was just trying to prove a point trip. Sorry. I wasn't trying to get out. I just like, I mean, you read that, isn't it? Like the secret is like, if Christians actually forgive everyone, then uh, that's like, that's how God wants it to work. So we shouldn't do like, that's what he's saying. Right. I was like, yeah, yeah. But you got to admit, right. If, if there was just like that one person, Right, and Jesus is like, oh, "I'm sorry, uh, Philip's still mad at you." And I was like, oh, "Okay, uh, we're not going to use that at Youth Sunday." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's um, good. It's good. I I love that as you're saying about like these disciples who have royally screwed up, abandoned him, betrayed him, all that stuff. That the first word that they hear from him is peace. Mm-hmm. That's wild. I mean, it is, um, though it's also relatively good news, you know, because we are not in a historical circumstance to tell the incarnate son of God, uh, I'll never deny you Mm. and, um, and peace out while he's being executed. Like, or, or actually we are. I mean, I think that's really the, what the text invites us into, right, is, like they're being given peace after that, that if we are confident in that type of affirmation, then in what ways can we begin to acknowledge our participation in death dealing systems? Yeah. And like when we don't trust the peace or when we think that Jesus has a reason to retain sin, but if he hasn't retained any, then like we can at least be honest about reality. Um, but then that, that freaks me out. I, you know, honestly, I, the, the, 
this quarantine has in like dramatically intensified my uh uh i don't know my spiritual intensity and it's it's made me more more thrilled with the gospel and less optimistic about the church because think of how many things this is revealing are institutions and habits and powers of relating the church is never called into question and it's not until it becomes an immediate crisis uh and in a sense a work of charity that we'll even acknowledge it yeah it has revealed so much self-justification yeah and 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 this isn't and i know that's true about me right and so um if if jesus then wants to say to the church today peace be with you and then wants to discuss about how sins are retained like in some sense i feel like i'm retaining certain sins just because it ends up preserving my privilege mm. and my possessions or like prestige in certain or like there's so many ways in which there are patterns of sin that are death dealing um i want retained for me and i don't i I mean that's not exactly how that phrase is getting used but like so i've been thinking about it's very depressing i would definitely not use that at in your sermon um yeah leave him on that low note you got uh, to ride that wave of chaos, you know? You never know what's going to happen. No, but I, that is what I'm thinking about. And I know um, maybe maybe the positive note is uh, there is good preachers are good not because they're good at preaching or exegeting text. It's because the text shape how they show up to their congregation, their community. And I don't think we know what our community are really experiencing in each home that they're in right now whether they're going in some type of service or they're delivering things and not knowing what they're they picked up and what they're doing to parents that are attempting to homeschool to individual single adults in isolation there's so many different places and uh so you know like i read the text this is what i was thinking of but that's just because that's what i'm what i'm dealing with there's literally nowhere else to go and uh, but we don't know the world of the people uh because each home's so autonomous in this time um i don't know and jesus shows up in our rooms and speaks a word of peace so trip thank you for helping us see these texts differently today thank you for helping reveal something about them about who we are and who god is many blessings on you and all your work and i thank you very much for joining me All right. Strangely Warmed is produced by me, Taylor Mertens, and the team behind Crackers and Grape Juice, Jason Michelli, Tier Hardy, and myself, with musical help from Clay Motley. If you want to find out more about the podcast and the team, you can do so at crackersandgrapejuice.com, on Facebook, and on Twitter. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and a review. It helps us and helps others to discover the conversation. Little liberty.